You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein, but you can call me Katie. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that this podcast can and will depict explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello and welcome. Today I'll be reading Love Bites by Mal Muses. Chapters 1 and 2. The pertinent tags for today's fic are Alternate Universe Modern Setting Creature Fic Two-Person Love Triangle Vampire Dean Winchester Barista Castiel Mechanic Dean Winchester Virgin Castiel Anxious Castiel Confident Dean Winchester Openly Bisexual Dean Winchester Unrequited Castiel slash Hannah Terrible Parenting, Men of Letters Drama, First Time, First Dates, Please Don't Feed Real Bats Cheeseburgers, Emotional Hurt Comfort, Strangers to Bats to Lovers. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. Love Bites, written by Mal Muses, read for you by Nerdy Nerdenstein. Summary, Cass Novak graduated with a 4.0 in mathematics, but not even Naomi Novak's money could help him at job interviews. Anxious and dissatisfied with life, at nearly 30 he's still washing dishes in the back of his best friend Hannah's cafe. Until one night when his cat drags an injured bat into his apartment. Dean may be a vampire, but he's not an asshole. Well, not much. He feels like he owes the awkward guy for rescuing him from the cat's clutches. So he sets about changing Cass's life. A silly story about families who aren't quite what they seem, fake boyfriends, and falling in love with someone who's never technically met you. There's also some amazing art by Palace Perilous that you should really check out. Love 
Chapter 1 Cass was in hell. I think someone threw up on this plate, Kevin said, offering it toward Cass, as if there was some chance, in some universe somewhere, that he'd want to take it. I do the dishes, Cass protested, throwing down the dish towel that he'd been holding when Kevin had summoned him from his quiet, calm scullery with a yell. Bodily fluids are a front-of-the-house issue. I'm not touching that. You're the one with the cloth and the mop, Kevin. But Cass, Kevin whined, it smells. I'm aware. Cass crinkled his nose but found himself extending his hand out for the younger man to give him the plate. Ugh, being a people-pleaser sucked sometimes. Fine, I'll get rid of it, but I'm not mopping. Kevin looked so relieved. Cass thought he might have been at risk of being hugged if it weren't for the throw-up plate he held as a shield. Thank you, Cass. You're the best. I know. Sighing, but being careful not to spill the sloshy plate, Cass backed his way into the swinging double doors and eased his way cautiously into the kitchen annex where the dishes got washed. Heading for the large commercial sink that he had just cleaned, damn it, he dropped the plate in it and began to hose it off. The last of the diners for the evening were finishing up, so he was hopeful that he'd be able to leave within a half an hour or so. Spraying the plate clean, he gave it a critical once-over. In the end, deciding to err on the side of caution, he walked over to the trash can with it. Why are you throwing away a perfectly good plate? Hannah asked, bumping through the service door at the back with her hip, arms piled high with paper. Someone threw up on it, Cass said flatly. He hovered, holding the plain white restaurant plate above the open trash can. Ew, Hannah said, wrinkling her nose. She gestured for him to drop the offending dish into the waiting black bag. I trust your judgment. Just don't tell Zach we're throwing out the tableware now. He wouldn't care how many different bodily fluids had been on it. Hannah was the owner and manager of Heavenly Bodies Cafe, but Zachariah Stein was, sadly, her co-partner and investor. While Hannah had a passion for food, coffee, and people, Zach was a stingy, cheap business mogul with the lease on the building. He was also a vile, lecherous ass, but until Hannah could afford to buy him out, they all coped. Mostly. Barely. Are you heading out on time tonight? Cass asked Hannah, pumping a generous amount of antibacterial soap onto his hands. Hoping to, Hannah said. We should be pretty quiet tomorrow, so I'm going to try to spend the day looking at the books. And you know I need a good night's rest for that. Cass smiled gently across at Hannah, his best friend from college who'd hired him here when no one else would. You know I can help with the books, Han. She sighed. I know, Cassie, but we can't afford to pay you what you're worth, so that's not fair, just like every other time we've had this discussion. She glared across at him as she moved toward the double doors, but there was no heat in her expression. All right, Hannah, you know where I am when you get stuck, he teased, knowing his friend didn't have much of a head for numbers. 
Not all of us are fancy 4.0 accounting graduates, Cass, she said in mock offense. She paused for a moment, halfway through the door. Your mother sent me an invite to Michael's wedding, you know. Cass groaned. I'm sorry, she's terrible. It's okay. If you need me to do the fake girlfriend thing again, Hannah said, raising her hand in a joking salute, you know I'm here for you. I appreciate it, but she's on to us. It's been eight years since we met, so unless you want to be fake married and fake pregnant by this time next year, I need another option. I'll tell her I can't make it. Cass pretended not to notice Hannah's face fall as she disappeared out into the cafe. It wasn't that Cass didn't like Hannah. He liked her a lot. And it wasn't that Hannah wasn't attractive or kind or fun. But it was just that somehow, for Cass, those traits had added up to a best friend, not a girlfriend. And there wasn't anything he could do about that. Though, in hindsight, their ploy to have her pose as his girlfriend to keep his mother off his back had been a terrible idea. Scrubbing his hands ferociously under the tap, Cass let out a small sigh. He felt trapped between his total failure to find a job in his field after college, or any job at all if it hadn't been for Hannah, and Naomi's constant breathing down his neck. He was, she claimed, her most disappointing child, which, given how unlikable his brothers were, was all the more heartbreaking. His rejection of the family business, as she referred to it, was unforgivable. Cass was at peace with his choice, but he doubted his mother ever would be. He was, however, stuck in a rut. Hannah fussed and told him that his anxiety meds weren't working and that she thought he was depressed, but he couldn't see how knowing that would help on his current salary. It wasn't like he had insurance. Washing dishes at Heavenly Bodies, the cafe next to the Astronomy Museum, hadn't exactly been his dream career. Unfortunately for Cass, his social anxiety ratcheted up so high in interviews he could barely get a word out. So, dishes for Hannah it was. At least it paid the rent on his shitty apartment. The fact that he still had to rely on Naomi for the rest of his bills, though, left a nasty taste in his mouth. He regularly thought about, and tried, getting a second job. But it all circled back to him being an anxious mess and flunking every interview he'd had. It was a disaster. His life was a disaster. And he spent rather a lot of time mad at himself about it. Cass dried his hands off and checked to see if there were any more dishes to be cleaned before he could break down the kitchen and head out for the night. Poking his head out of the door he saw a portly, dark-haired man rounding on Kevin, his crisp British accent doing nothing to soften his severe expression. And you! The man stopped to poke at Kevin's chest. You think you should get a tip for that? I, I didn't ask for it, Kevin spluttered, seeking refuge behind the cash register where he'd be out of reach of the poking finger. Cass frowned. Kevin was their newest and youngest employee. He was a hard worker, a little grumpy perhaps, but Cass couldn't fault him for that, with all the crap he got from customers working out front. 
What's going on out here? Cass said, stepping up behind Kevin and placing a hand on his shoulder in support. Are you the manager? The man turned to Cass before looking him up and down. Seeing the damp apron that graced Cass's hips, he curled his lips derisively. Obviously not. I wanted a manager. He thumped his fist down on the counter. Yes, sir, Kevin grumbled. I asked if you could just wait a moment while Hannah... Do you think it's appropriate for you to ask me to wait a minute? Kevin opened his mouth, but no sound came out. Why don't you head in the back and start wiping down the food prep counters? Cass said gently, ushering Kevin off toward the side doors, before fixing the short, angry man with a flat glare. What exactly is the issue? Hannah will be here shortly, I'm sure, but perhaps we can resolve it in the meantime. My steak was overcooked. Well, uh, let me just send someone over to your table to collect it and we can cook. I already ate the steak. I want it taken off my bill. Cass blinked. But, but you ate it. If you'd have just asked, it wasn't cooked right. Castiel sighed. I'll send the cook out, sir. Ellis was a huge, intimidating muscle wall of a guy. This slimy creep would probably roll right over when he was confronted by Heavenly Body's much-loved chef. Breathing his way through his increased heart rate, Cass congratulated himself on standing up for Kevin and slinked back into the kitchen. Ellis went out to deal with the rowdy Brit, and Cass finally headed back to his last load of dishes, which seemed to have doubled in number since he left. Dang it. So much for finishing soon. Cass had a feeling it would be a long night. Just another one of many. Dean stretched his arms above his head, wincing at the cracking of his spine. He unfolded himself from the front seat of his beloved Impala, closing the door and giving her side an appreciative little pat as he locked her. He was tired after a busy day driving between the three locations of his businesses. He worked at Singer Salvage on and off since he was a boy, and when the old man had passed, he'd left the yard to Dean. He lived there now, along with Sam since he'd returned from school in California, and Dean had slowly expanded his business beyond Singer Salvage, adding a mechanic shop in town and Singer Classics, a small classic car detailing business that Dean was building up on the side. Trying to manage all three was exhausting, and he barely broke even some months, but he and Sam don't need to rely on anyone else. That was all Dean needed. Sam had been on at him to get some help for months, someone for the paperwork, but for now, Dean was happy being self-reliant. Dean pushed open the front door. Sam, you home? In here, his brother yelled from the kitchen, poking his head around the door at the end of the corridor. He was still wearing his suit jacket from his job at Mills and Hanscom Law in town, and he looked as worn out as Dean did. It was late, the sun having set long ago, but running his own businesses often meant that Dean kept terrible hours. His days were long, but he enjoyed them. Sure, he'd often end up covered in grease, but he got to bring home honest money 
and look after his brother. It was more than he'd had for much of his life. His dad had been somewhat old-fashioned, and of the mind that Dean should stick to their family's old traditions. Dean would never utter the words to anyone, but a tiny part of him had been relieved when John had passed. Now it was just him and Sam, and for the most part they were content with life. A little lonely on occasion, but that went with the territory. At least they had each other. Dean eased off his dirty boots and shucked down his brown overalls, revealing worn jeans and a metallic t-shirt underneath, tossing the work coverall over the banister of the stairs and leaving his boots near the door. He strolled up to the kitchen, sniffing the air suspiciously. You trying to cook something, Sam? Trying? Sam sounded offended, turning to waggle a dirty spatula at Dean. Just because something isn't 90% bacon fat doesn't mean it's not food. Oh, God, what is it? Dean asked, wrinkling his nose. Something good? There's no way you'd have said that if it was good, Dean said, pressing into the kitchen and attempting to peer around Sam to look at the stove. Sam danced from side to side, blocking his access to the oven. It's healthy. Oh, God, Dean whined. It's one of your experimental things. Tell me there aren't flax seeds or fucking kale. I said no more kale. Sam flapped him away, spatula still in hand. It's going to be an hour at least. Don't you need to feed tonight? Go do that while I finish up. Hey, Dean said. Who's in charge around here? Sam laughed loudly. Hell only knows, because you aren't the boss of me. Go. Hunt. I'll chill some beer for when you get done. Dean slapped Sam affectionately on the shoulder as he passed and headed back out into the corridor of their slightly ramshackle but much-loved old house. Bobby hadn't been one for fancy interiors, and both Dean and Sam were more about function than form. But even so, they tried to look after the place where they could. They'd spent much of their childhoods there whenever John had passed Sioux Falls for a visit or just dumped them with Bobby while he disappeared off on mysterious, dangerous excursions. The memories in these walls, while sometimes bittersweet, were the closest thing to family the Winchester boys had. Rolling his shoulders, Dean made his way back down the corridor toward the front door and then turned to pat his way up the staircase in socked feet. His brother was right. He did need to feed. He'd been getting tired more easily, and today the sun had seemed far too bright. With a sigh of resignation, Dean climbed the rest of the stairs up to the second story of the old house. Bobby's old bedroom was the one with the biggest windows, so Sam and Dean had designated it to be the spare room, jokingly referring to the tall glass panes as the bat flap. They used it to get in and out without being seen by the neighbors. Not that anyone lived particularly close to the salvage yard, but they couldn't be too careful. The spare room was pretty bare. They couldn't possibly have anyone visit anyway, after all. And it contained little more than a clothing rack, a laundry basket, and an old dresser. A shaggy brown rug covered most of the wood floor. The dresser contained old clothes and towels, just in case. Sometimes messes happened, though Dean and Sam were both exceedingly well-practiced at handling their transformations alone, 
after a lifetime of them. Shedding his t-shirt, Dean shook it out and hung it on the waiting clothes rack. His jeans followed, and he dropped his boxer briefs into the waiting hamper. The window looked out across the salvage yard, quiet and dark for the night. Dean's two employees, Mick and Benny, had gone home hours ago. Dean opened it and let the chill breeze blow in and across his bare, freckled skin. Cracking his neck in the way that always made Sam cringe, Dean made a gentle hum of satisfaction at the freeing sensation. He spread his arms, stretched out his muscles, and cracked his knuckles out of pure habit. His face split with a cocky grin that was for no one but himself, and he bent down into a runner's starting position. Three swift pumps of his thighs and he was airborne. He changed on the fly, his body shrinking, darkening, his teeth sharpening. The supple stretch of his fair, muscled form transformed into leathery skin and soft fur. With a gleeful scree, Dean soared over the partly disassembled cars in the yard, spiraling up and flying dizzying loops just for the feel of the wind beneath his wings. The kitchen window opened. Dean, stop showing off and get out of here, Sam yelled, unamused. Scree! Dean screeched sulkily before turning his back to the building. He zoomed off into the night, following the distant scent of warm blood. Chapter 2 It was nearly midnight by the time Cass closed his apartment door behind himself. He dawdled tiredly inside, dropping his jacket over the back of his threadbare couch. The evening was calm and cold, but his walk home from heavenly bodies had done little to refresh him. With a sigh, he shuffled the back of his knees against the arm of the couch and simply allowed himself to fall back until he flopped horizontally amongst the pillows. He let out a small oof as the motion knocked the air out of him. He lay there for a few minutes, trying to work up the will to take off his work shoes. It never came, and he was still wearing them when the cat flap clattered ten minutes later. Hey, Miggles, Cass cooed, turning his head in the direction of the pale orange fluff ball that had squeezed itself through the flap in the door. The cat did not meow in response, which was somewhat suspicious. Cass craned his neck, trying to get a good look at the animal. The feline darted into the room silently, sneaking behind the couch before Cass could sit up. Damned cat, Cass muttered, pulling himself up off the comfy seat. Cass had been Miggle's owner for several years, so he knew exactly what the sneaky animal was doing. He knew the signs. Crouching down next to the arm of the couch closest to where the cat had disappeared, 
He peered into the dark gap between the piece of furniture and the wall. What have you got there, Migsy? He said softly, before adding to himself, Better not be another dang bird. The tiny flash of Miggle's eyes reflecting at him confirmed that the cat was hiding from him. Cursing under his breath, he straightened up and rolled his shoulders, before bracing to push the couch out from the wall. But before he could complete the motion, Miggles darted out with something dark clasped in their mouth. The pursuit began. Miggles raced across the other side of the room, bounding into the empty corner before shooting back across the top of the coffee table, deliberately trying to lose Cass as he dived after the speeding orange blur. Damn it, Miggles. Cass skidded on the floor and was momentarily glad he hadn't gotten around to taking his shoes off, so he had enough grip not to crash into the wall. A cat leaped out of reach, scurrying down the short hallway to the bedroom, with something large and black grasped in its jaws. Oh, come on, Cass grumbled softly, tiptoeing as carefully as he could down the hallway, though he knew that attempting to sneak up on Miggles was a lost cause. The hallway was empty, and Cass was silently placing bets on which room the cat had disappeared into. His bedroom, guest room, or bathroom. He took a bet on his bedroom first. It was more Miggle's domain than his most days. It often felt like he had to ask permission just to use a corner of the bed. A quick search did not reveal the feline, or its captive. Miggles, I'm tired. Can you just let it go so I can sleep? Cass said, stepping back out into the hallway. In return, he heard an indignant meow from the bathroom. Aha. He stepped into the bathroom quickly, and of course, Miggle strolled nonchalantly past him, stopping to rub at his ankle on the way. No bird in sight. Great, Cass muttered under his breath. Now there was an injured, or very likely dead, bird somewhere in his apartment. Hopefully, he wouldn't find its head on his pillow tomorrow morning as he had with the mouse last week. He was about to turn on his heel and head to his bedroom when he heard a tiny scratch-scratch kind of noise. It seemed to be coming from the bathtub. Very slowly, he stepped up to the edge and peered around the shower curtain. In the tub was a bat. Although still very small, it seemed a little larger than Cass remembered most bats being. The poor thing looked so pathetic scrambling to get a hold of the ceramic walls, tripping over its wings, that it was actually quite adorable. Hey, little guy, Cass cooed soothingly, crouching down at the edge of the tub. The bat froze, at least for a moment. As soon as Cass tried to reach for it, it freaked out entirely, making shrill little screeches and scrambling for the edge of the tub, only to slide back down every time. Okay, okay, Cass said softly. He moved back, leaving just one hand dangling innocuously inside the tub. I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to check if you're hurt, and then we'll get you back outside, okay? The bat watched him, its eyes sharper and far more intelligent-looking than he would have expected. Cass wasn't overly familiar with bats, but this one, he decided, was pretty cute. It had a soft, fuzzy head and cool-looking leathery wings. 
One of the wings, he noticed sadly, seemed to be dragging along the bottom of the tub. It crept slowly, suspiciously toward his hand. Cass could have sworn it was glaring at him. The bat left a small trail of blood in the bottom of the white bathtub, leading Cass to notice several deep scratches amongst its fur. That mean kitty really got you good, huh? Cass said softly. Come on, buddy, just trust me. I'll get you cleaned up. Step by step, the bat came up to his hand. It gave him a fast, quivering sniff. There we go, that's it, Cass encouraged gently. Not gonna hurt you, see? The bat nodded. Wait, the bat nodded? Cass shook his head. I really must be tired, he told himself. Still moving very cautiously, he lay his hand out flat on the bottom of the tub. After another long, suspicious glare, the bat clambered onto his palm. His claws were scratchy, but not particularly uncomfortable. Very slowly, Cass scooped it up, bringing it into his chest for support. Using the tiny clawed hands at the top of his wings, the bat clung desperately onto his shirt. The creature seemed uncomfortable with the movement as Cass stood up, making tiny peeping noises, but he clung on and didn't move. There's a good little bat, he grinned down at it. He could have sworn it glared even harder. Up close, he could tell the small mammal had a broken wing and some hefty wounds from Miggle's attentions. He stepped out into the living room, moving back to the couch where his phone still lay, right where it had fallen out of his pocket while he lazed earlier. Keeping one hand cupped over the bat to comfort it, he unlocked his phone with the other hand and thumbed through his contacts. Sioux Falls Veterinary Hospital, a sleepy voice answered. Hey, Garth, it's Castiel. Hey, Cass, what's up? Miggles all right? Yeah, they're fine, Cass said, carefully lowering himself down to the couch. Dragged another little friend into the apartment, actually. Oh, no, another bird. A bat this time. A bat? Okay, does it seem injured? Garth asked, the sleepiness leaving his voice as he went into work mode. I'm fairly sure it has a broken wing and some nasty cuts from Miggs' claws and teeth. Okay, well, first things first, Cass, don't touch it. Cass looked down at the creature cradled in his chest. It appeared to be watching his phone call intently. A little late for that, Garth. Oh, well, have you had a rabies shot recently? Rabies? Cass asked. Yeah, I think I had the series when that huge rat Miggles found outside bit me back in the summer. The bat at Cass's chest emitted a small, offended-sounding squeak. Cass looked down at it suspiciously. No one's saying that you have rabies, buddy, he told it. But better safe than sorry on my part. Cass, are you talking to the bat? Came Garth's amused voice. Uh, I guess, yeah. All righty, well, grab yourself a pen, bud. I'll give you some instructions for now that you can follow at home. I know you don't have the money to keep bringing all these creatures into the clinic out of hours. Garth offered kindly. Thank you, 
Cass sighed, looking down at the tiny, grumpy bean that clung to his chest. He idly petted the bat's head with his thumb while he wrote down the veterinarian's instructions. After he'd thanked his longtime friend and hung up, Cass looked back down at the bat. Ready to get fixed up, little guy. In response, the bat hooked its claws into Cass's work shirt once more, as if already anticipating that Cass was going to stand up. Smart little thing, aren't you? Cass observed, moving back to the bathroom. He opened the cabinet under the sink, rooting around for a shallow tray that he'd used for animal visitors before. Some gauze pads and a spare toothbrush. He found an old towel and the hot water bottle he used in winter when his feet got cold watching TV. He managed to juggle all the items into the tray and lift it with one arm, constantly supporting the bat with the other hand. It was a struggle, and the gauze bad and the gauze pads kept rolling off the top. After his second attempt, the bat gave a soft little squeak and began to climb its way up to Cass's shoulder. Freezing, with his breath caught in his throat, Cass waited until the small creature settled down next to his collar. It had its feet gripping hard to the material of his shirt, and the hand of its good wing tangled in Cass's hair. Scree! It peeped softly next to his ear. All right, then. Cass blinked, amazed. Definitely smart. He picked up the gauze pads and made his way to the kitchen, careful to keep his steps even and soft. With both hands free again, it didn't take long to get the tray half-filled with warm water. After testing it with his wrist to make sure it wouldn't burn the tiny thing's sensitive skin, Cass reached up to his shoulder and gently scooped up the bat, beginning to lower it towards the makeshift bath. There was a lot of squeaking, and the bat speedily crawled out of his hand and halfway back up his arm. Hey, Cass laughed. I need to get the blood washed off you and clean your wounds, okay? I'm not going to drown you or anything, he said softly, ducking his head down to speak to the creature. He felt a little silly doing it, but the bat seemed to be soothed by his voice so far and appeared to be unexpectedly intelligent, so it just felt right to tell him what was going on. The bat tilted his head, giving Cass a long, suspicious side-eye. Then, to Cass's utter surprise, the bat scuttered its way calmly down his arm and plopped itself into the little bath tray. It sat calmly in the middle, looking up at Cass as if to say, well, get on with it. Picking up the soft, new toothbrush that he'd kept on hand for guests, Cass dipped it into the warm water and gave the bat an experimental little rub on the head with it. The bat sat perfectly still. Good boy. Or, uh, girl, I guess. Cass shrugged. I'm not even sure how I'd check with a bat. Cass could have sworn, if he wasn't completely crazy, of course, that the bat squeaked and moved its little legs closer together. He dipped the brush in water again and began to methodically comb over the small creature's blood-spattered fur, cupping his hand and using it to rinse over the bat at regular intervals. It was strangely calm. He'd expected splashing, clawing, ear-splitting noises. But instead, after its initial fright... The creature seemed to just decide to trust him. 
staying still and letting Cash gently brush the drying blood from its fur. At one point, the fuzzy, dark-as-night little mammal started to push back against the brush, encouraging Cass to scratch its back, between its wings, with the toothbrush bristles. Once he'd gotten the bat mostly clean, Cass picked up a few pads of gauze and dipped them into the warm water. Okay, buddy, he said quietly, offering out a hand for the bat to climb back onto. I'll just need to check those bites and scratches are all clean, okay? The bat climbed back onto his hand without a problem. The creature seemed to have decided they were friends, and the quirky little thing amused Cass. Sorry if this stings any, okay? Cass didn't know why he kept talking to it, other than the bat always seemed like it was listening. It watched his face and tilted his head and seemed to focus on his words. So he kept at it, thinking that at least the low timbre of his voice might be soothing to the injured animal. Right then it glared at him again, as he raised the gauze to its chest. He dabbed as carefully as he could at the slashes that cut its soft, dark fur with angry, fleshy red. The bat lay back in his hand, trustingly. Its injured wing lolled by its side, the other tucked in tight. He could feel it wiggling the pulled-in wing very slightly, and Cass had the odd impression that the bat was attempting to be brave, almost as if it wanted to pretend that it didn't hurt. I'm sorry, Cass near whispered again. Almost done. The bat flinched as Cass moved on its side and back, ensuring it was as clean as he could get it. The creature clung onto his thumb with its claws. It was a little bigger than Cass's hand. Large for a bat, he decided. It was a beautiful creature. As far as he recalled from pictures of bats, he'd always thought their eyes were beady and black. But these were green, a vivid forest green, with pupils just like a human's. They stared at each other solemnly for a moment when Cass finished. Let's get you dry, Cass said after a minute. He picked up the old towel and gently bundled the bat in it, before setting the lump of fabric on the counter. A little black bat head poked out of the top, but otherwise the creature remained cocooned within. Cass boiled his electric tea kettle quickly and filled the hot water bottle, making sure it wasn't too warm. Then he wrapped it in another towel. Looking over at the bat snuggled up in his warm towel mountain, he ducked down so he was practically on eye level with it. If I go find a box to put this in, are you going to stay there? Or am I going to come back and have to rescue you from the sink or find you dangling from the blinds or something? The bat stared at him. Cass laughed at himself, shaking his head. Okay, I need to stop talking to you like you can understand me. Hannah already says I'm lonely and weird. Anthropomorphizing a bat for company isn't going to help. The bat fixed him with a strange, intelligent stare, but it didn't move, staying warmly wrapped in the towel. After a little rooting around in his closet, Cass found an old box big enough to tuck the hot water bottle into the bottom. He layered a towel on top and found a tiny jar lid in his recycling that he could put a few drops of fresh water in. Satisfied with his makeshift bat heating pad, 
Cass gathered the last few supplies the veterinarian had recommended. Some popsicle sticks, and some of the medical tape Cass still had from previous running injuries. When he returned to the kitchen, the bat hadn't moved. Are you going to bite me if I try and tape up your wing? He asked it, very seriously. I can take you to the veterinarian's office tomorrow, but I can't afford the extra after-hours fees right now, little buddy. So let's just try our best with Garth's advice, huh? He carefully unwrapped the bat from its towel, and the fuzzy little lump of darkness immediately clung to his thumb again with one hand, as if uneasy. I'm not trying to hurt you, I promise. But if it stays dangling like this, it could get worse, Cass said, gently lifting the wing with two fingers. The bat froze. It clung on tight to Cass's thumb and made occasional screeing noises, but it didn't try to escape, as Cass very cautiously splinted the wing with two popsicle sticks and a couple of the little gauze pads, holding them all in place with the medical tape. It's not perfect, he said as he finished, but it should hold you until tomorrow. The bat tilted its head, examining its stiff, awkwardly extended wing. Cass could have sworn that the creature looked sad. It turned back to him with a soft screech, which, in Cass's mind, was as good as a thank you. Now, Garth said that I should feed you goat's milk concentrate and mealworms, Cass said softly to the bat, gently lowering the creature down into its makeshift bed. But I don't have either of those, and I don't want to give you anything that'll make you sick. So hopefully... You can wait until the morning to eat something. The bat's glare was reproachful. Well, I'm sorry, Cass grumbled. He paused to cover a yawn with his hand. It's late. The store is closed, and I have to get some rest. You probably can't hang off anything with your wing like that. So just snooze on the heating pad for now, I guess. If bats can even do that. He picked up the box carefully tucking it under his arm, and began to walk to his bedroom. The bat didn't seem bothered by the movement. It just clung onto the towel with its good wing and snuggled its still damp little body down onto the warm hot water bottle with an appreciative sound, almost like a tiny purr. Feeling a bit better, little guy? Cass asked, setting the box down on the nightstand and doing a quick miggles check under the bed. The cat was nowhere in sight, but he locked the bedroom door as an extra precaution against feline intrusion. He didn't want Miggs trying to play with, or worse, snack on, the bat again during the night. You should be safe enough in here with me until morning. You should be safe enough in here with me until the morning. I'm just praying I don't wake up to you hiding behind a piece of furniture, or having pooped all over everything, Cass sighed. The bat gave an indignant little squeak. Well, you are a bat, Cass pointed out, stripping his work shirt and khakis off. He slumped down onto the mattress in his boxers, giving out a long, loud moan as he landed face first into the pillow. The bat was silent and still. All things considered, Dean had been in worse pickles. 
The curious, dorky man that had rescued him was wonderful. Dean would happily admit that he was mentally calling him dorky to avoid calling him fucking gorgeous. He was moderately humiliated that he'd been snuck up on by a giant fluffy cat beast while he was hunting, but it was no worse than the time an actual bat had propositioned Sam. Right at that moment, however, he was more concerned that his injuries were too severe for him to transform back to his normal human state safely. Cass, his rescuer, had gently tucked him into his car. If this contraption could be called a car, Dean was more inclined to call it an abomination, and was taking him to the veterinarian in town. The vet was a quirky little man named Dr. Fitzgerald that Dean was rather familiar with as he had done plenty of work on the man's truck, which was often full of copious amounts of animal excrement and leftover kibble. Yes, Hannah, a bat. Cass squinted at the red light, waiting for it to change. Miggles left it alive this time, though. Cass had this Hannah person on speaker, his phone perched on the dashboard as he drove. Between driving and using one hand to protect the box next to him, He didn't have a spare one to stop the phone sliding around. Dean was personally grateful that his safety ranked higher than the decrepit old cell. But aren't bats, like, full of diseases? Hannah sounded disgusted, her horrified voice projected from the dashboard. Dean gave an indignant squeak. Diseases? He didn't care if it seemed like this woman was Cass's boss or friend or whatever. That was still rude. She just doesn't know you, Wingchester. Cass looked over and told him as he drove over the intersection. She doesn't mean anything by it. Did you name the bat after that hot guy that took over the salvage yard from Mr. Singer? Hannah sounded highly amused. Maybe. You're such a weirdo. Hannah may have been amused, but not half as much as Dean had been when Cass had started spitballing for a name for him during breakfast. The hot guy who took over the salvage yard, huh? Well, he was more than okay with that label. Dean settled back into his freshly renewed heating pad, listening to the conversation. Cass sighed. I know, but I can't stop talking to it. I swear it's like it can understand me. It didn't seem right to keep calling it bat, you know. I can't say I do know, no, said Hannah. But you were always more of a bleeding heart than I was, Cass. It's my cat's fault, it's hurt. I feel responsible is all. I get it. I'll give Kevin a call and see if he can switch shifts with you today. If not, we'll manage. You can take your little bat friend to the veterinarian this morning, and then come in after lunch. Thank you, Han. You owe me. I always do. Cass smiled fondly, letting go of the box very carefully so that he could hang up the phone. In a couple more blocks, they made it to the veterinary office. Cass parked close to the door and cautiously eased open the box to peer inside. His huge, startlingly blue eyes looked down at Dean. How's it going, Winchester? Squeak! Could be worse, buddy. At least you're nice to look at, Dean thought. We're at Garth's office. Do you want to sit in the box or ride on me? Dean looked at Cass for a moment, 
before taking a few steps towards the edge of the box. He craned his head up over the edge and gave out an impatient little squawk. Come on, like anyone would turn down the chance to ride you. All right, all right, be patient. Cass quickly unclipped his seatbelt and shoved on his hat and scarf, gathered up his wallet and phone, then carefully reached into the box to pick up Dean, or Wingchester, in his own mind, Dean supposed. He clung to Cass's thumb as usual, and then scrabbled his way familiarly over to Cass's shoulder when he held his hand up. Dean's tiny body shuddered in the cold wind as Castiel locked up the car. Here, buddy, Cass said, lifting the edge of his scarf. With a small, shuffling adjustment, Dean snuggled in close to Cass's neck, with one of the loops of his scarf around him like a blanket. It's cold, and the guy is cute and smells good, Dean thought. So sue me. Cass grins down at him, showing perfect white teeth. He didn't seem at all surprised anymore when Dean understood him and reacted to his conversation. Should probably be more grateful the dude clearly knows nothing about bats, Dean considered. Dean was a little concerned about how the trip to the veterinarian was going to go, but it wasn't as if he could fly away with this stupid wing, and if he wanted to heal up faster and get back to Sammy, he was going to have to suck it up and pretend to be a bat. A few minutes later found them checked in at Garth's office, sitting in the waiting room while he finished up with what sounded like the world's angriest dog. Dean didn't mind dogs as a human, certainly not, but as something small and chaseable, he'd rather not. By the time they made it into the clinic itself, Dean had buried himself up against the side of Cass's neck, only his eyes poking out. Hey, Cass, Garth grinned, reaching out to shake Cass's hand. I thought you said you were bringing a bat in for a quick look over. Cass pointed up to his neck silently. Dean couldn't see Cass's expression, but Garth certainly looked amused. Ha, the veterinarian said with a little laugh. Bonding well with you, I see. Okay, if you can put it down on the table, I'll give it a quick examination. I can give you some food and milk concentrate to take home with you once we've got its wing sorted, too. Forty-five minutes later, Dean and Cass were tucked back inside Cass's rattling Lincoln Continental. That wasn't too bad, was it, little one? Cass smiled, reaching down into the box to stroke Dean's head before he pulled out of the parking lot. Dean gave a small scream, grumbling to himself. Quite frankly, that had been one of the most awkward, invasive, and humiliating experiences in his life. But Cass didn't know that. So you are a boy bat, after all, Cass said, rubbing his thumb softly behind Dean's ear. Good to know. Interesting that Garth didn't recognize your species, though. Told him you were too smart to be a regular bat. Despite his amusement, Dean preened a little at Cass's touch. Not that Dean would have admitted to anyone that he kind of liked being petted. But Cass had large, strong hands, and he was always gentle and warm. A short journey and one swing through a drive through later, and they were headed back to Cass's home. Cass was careful with his box as he carried Dean back to the apartment, and Dean was grateful. His wing hurt like a bitch, and the few stitches Garth had given one of the bigger cuts at his chest were itchy.
He wanted a nap and a beer and a cheeseburger. His chances of getting those, he realized, were pretty slim. He'd seen the small tub of mealworms the veterinarian had kindly given to Cass, and he was not impressed. Cass let Dean perch on the back of the couch, nestled between the swell of the cushioning that denoted the right hand and middle seats. He snuggled down warmly, his injured wings spread out across the worn fabric. Miggles was not pleased. Miggles, Cass shouted, seeing the feline's butt begin to wiggle tellingly as they fixed their eyes on the couch. The cat glared. Don't make me put you outside, Cass threatened, finger wiggling all. What is with this dude, talking to animals like they understand him? Dean wondered, amused. Miggles seemed quite put out that Dean was invading their home. What should have been dinner, now becoming an official house guest. The cat snuck along the couch until they were half in Cass's lap, before rolling onto their back and flapping their feet around, nuzzling up into Cass's stomach adorably. If Dean didn't know better, he'd have sworn the beast was trying to stake a claim. All right, Cass said with a sigh. Time to get ready for work. He sounded miserable at the idea, Dean noted. He left his drive through bag on the couch and pushed up off the seat with a low groan. Scooping Miggles up under one arm, Cass gave the cat a stern look. You're coming with me, Miggs. No being sneaky and snacking on Winchester while I'm in the other room getting dressed. The cat gave a long, grumpy meow. As soon as it was out of sight in the bedroom, Dean scrambled his way down the couch to the seat, his stiff, now professionally strapped-up wing jutting out to his side. It was uncomfortable and annoying, but better than when it flapped around, he decided. The delicious smells emanating from the takeout bag were just too much. Who didn't like a bit of comfort food after a rough night and a terrible morning? Mealworms be damned, Dean thought. Carefully, shuffling around so as not to knock his sore wing or stretch his stitches, Dean eased his way into the bag as quietly as possible. Double bacon cheeseburger, a man after my own heart, Dean rejoiced, tearing the wrapper aside with his sharp teeth and burrowing his face into the juicy, greasy meat. God, it was delicious. Perfectly grilled, pepper jack cheese, just the right amount of... Hey! A hand suddenly grasped at Dean, hoisting him up to the height of Cass's eyes. That's mine, little guy. Fuck, this dude's eyes were as blue as the sky up close. Cass gently lowered him back to the couch, tutting to himself. He reached over to the coffee table, where he'd abandoned the tub of mealworms he'd left the veterinarian's office with. Guess you're hungry, huh? Cass said, wrinkling his nose slightly as he pulled out a worm. He placed it down on top of a paper napkin, in front of Dean on the couch. Dean eyed it with horror. Oh, hell no. With one clawed foot, he reached out and flicked it firmly off the seat. Oh, come on, Cass grumbled, leaning over to pick it up off the carpet. It can't be that bad. 
With one hand, Cass scooped Dean up and brought the mealworm up to his mouth. Dean recoiled, scrabbling. Scree! Scree! He wailed, turning his head this way and that. Fuck this, Cass. You eat them if you like them so much. Cass laughed, placing Dean carefully down into his lap. Okay, okay, I was wrong. They look awful. Dean gave Cass his best glare and pout, which on a bat face was probably just a bit of narrowed eyes and a grimace. All right, Cass said, sticking a hand back into the drive through bag. It's not like I should eat this now that you've had your little batty hands all over it anyway. Dean gave a delighted little screech as Cass put the cheeseburger down on the napkin in front of him. He dived into it face first. Above him, Cass chuckled softly and reached over to stroke his back between his wings. All right, slow down, fuzzball. If this makes you sick or something, it's totally your own fault. Pulling back from his meat guzzling for a moment, Dean did his best to wordlessly express his thanks to the guy, leaning into his hand and nuzzling his face into Cass's palm. Not exactly a conversation, but best I can do, he thought. Cass smiled. You are a sweet little thing, Wingchester. Hopefully you'll be okay here while I go to work. I'll shut Miggles outside for the day. Don't want you getting chomped on again. I guess if it becomes a problem, I can always ask Garth if I can borrow a cage. Dean squinted. That better be a cage for the cat, buddy. Pushing up off the couch, Cass gave Dean one last little rub between the ears before he headed off to work. <laughs>